The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, and ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. This is Joe Schuldenrein with another episode of Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Today's program is a discussion on southwestern archaeology. It's a topic that we have not Uh, discussed for quite a while, although it has been a critical topic in our previous programs because of the extent of information that there is on the uh, North American, on the U.S. Southwest. Uh, My guests are also going to be discussing unusual and significant interactions between government agencies and uh, preservation and preservation sectors, and to some degree the private sector. My guests are uh, Jeffrey Hames, who is an archaeologist with the Bureau of Land Management and has been since 2008. Um, he has uh, experience in northeastern Utah and northwestern Colorado, and his uh, cultural interests are the northern periphery of the Puebloan phase of the prehistoric cultures of the Southwest. Um, I should mention also that our guests have a strong focus on the very well-known Simone ruins in northwestern New Mexico. Uh, My second guest is uh, Larry Baker, who is the executive director of the San Juan County Archaeological Research Center and library at Simone Ruins. Uh, He has an extensive experience and was involved in numerous archaeological endeavors, including research, cultural resource management, and uh, ruins stabilization and historic preservation. Um, He serves as the principal investigator of the center's archaeological consulting firm, the Division of Conservation Archaeology, and has organized a team of Native American specialists who have been preserving prehistoric and historic structures in the Four Corners region. Uh, thank you, gentlemen, for appearing in the program. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having us on. Thanks so much. 
what I'd like to talk about in the beginning is uh, actually what is the nature of your interaction because it's a little bit unique and it brings together sections and segments of the archaeological community that come from uh, a somewhat different backgrounds. So, uh, Jeffrey, why don't you start on that one? Okay. Um, as you said, the uh, Solman Ruins and the BLM Farmington Field Office do have a unique relationship. A lot of the work we're charged with carrying out involves the stabilization of ruins. Um, and that's something that you need a lot of people to do it and you need a lot of expertise. And that's not something we have in-house all the time. That's where Solomon Ruins comes in. We contract out a lot of this sort of work, stabilization, protection of of uh, sites, monitoring, things like that, and um, they do a great job with it. Larry? The relationship that I have with the BLM uh, is uh, multifaceted. Essentially, the Solomon Ruins Museum operates an archaeological consulting firm, as you indicated, and we do cultural resource management clearances and inspections here in the greater Four Corners area. And as a part of our consulting firm, as Jeff has indicated, we have a ruin stabilization unit that operates specifically in the preservation of historic and prehistoric structures here in the region. And for our relationship with the Bureau of Land Management, that is that we have undertaken a number of uh, stabilization projects for them and the New Mexico State Land Office. And uh, that is uh, something that will hopefully continue with us, and uh, it is a unique relationship. Uh, you were talking about that relationship, and I think it's really important for our listeners to understand that cooperative arrangements between government and private sector, and in your case, it's your museum sector, so I want to get into that uh, in a little bit, but, but I think it's really important for our listeners to understand that um, as governmental funds dry up and get essentially limited by uh, federal budgets and by a variety of other issues, that these types of cooperative arrangements are going to be probably increasingly more frequent and that they essentially represent a more efficient way of doing things. I was just curious as to, uh, Larry, and this is for you, how, how, does, how did the museum, um, how did the county, um, how did that, they develop that relationship with the BLM? It was, was it exclusively the Salmon Ruins um, project and it has that branched out? It wasn't specifically for the Solomon Ruins project. Uh, it was more associated with cultural resource management, archaeology, and our archaeological consulting firm. The Solomon Ruins Museum is managed and operated by a nonprofit organization, the San Juan County Museum Association. Uh, and we uh, operate the museum under a lease agreement with the county. Our relationship with the BLM, as I've indicated, is many-faceted, and uh, we take on a lot of different roles with them, especially as a nonprofit. 
uh, were not in the coastal resource management and stabilization gain uh, game to to turn a profit. And so a lot of things we do is essentially gratis in many cases, or just enough to cover our costs in terms of preservation, coastal resource management, etc. So, Jeffrey, um, you, you're with the BLM, and the BLM has a, a tremendous reach, uh, obviously, and I assume that you contract also with a lot of other private firms, correct? We do. Uh, the bulk of our workload is driven by the National Historic Preservation Act, Section 106, which some of your listeners are going to be very familiar with, and some of your listeners may not be familiar with at all. Um, in that... In that arena, um, anytime there's some sort of development proposed on public lands or involving public funds, it goes through a certain level of review to make sure that historic properties that meet a certain criterion of importance are avoided or treated appropriately. And it, it's a tremendous workload. In fact, since the 1970s, it's turned into a, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars kind of industry nationwide. Um, so that, that would be the uh, Division of Conservation Archaeology would be one example of, a, of the sort of 106 contracting world. And then we have our other, other duties, um, especially in the preservation interpretation of historic resources, and, and that's where uh, the... That's really where the Pueblitos are involved, where Salman Gurun gets involved with the Pueblitos. Yeah, Jeffrey, I, I think you, you make a very, very good point. It was a, a lovely description of the 106 process. We've had a number of shows, obviously, that deal with the compliance guidelines and the nature of what compliance and preservation is all about. But I think it's important to emphasize that these connections and the significance of, uh, of NHPA is very, very, very important in your part of the country because some of the sites that you guys deal with are like Salmon Ruins, Chaco Canyon, Mesa Verde, places like that. These are enormous sites, and they're very, very valuable to national heritage. And as a result of that, I'm guessing that this is why this type of or this series of relationships between governmental agencies and contracting firms uh, takes hold. So uh, let me ask you, uh, Larry. Um, Tell us a little bit about Salmon Ruins um, that make it very, very unique. It was obviously related to the to um, the Chaco Canyon and the 11th century fluorescence of that culture. Tell us a little bit about uh, Salmon Ruins. Tell us also about the nature of why the preservation effort is so complex. Salmon Ruins, as you've indicated, is an 11th century ancestral Puebloan site. Uh, related uh, to Chaco Canyon, and it's probably one of two actual Chacoan colonies, one being Solon Ruins, the other being Aztec Ruins under the jurisdiction of the National Park Service. Uh, Solomon was excavated um, between 1972 and 1978 as a collaborative community endeavor between San Juan County the San Juan County Museum Association, the nonprofit that I work for, and Eastern New Mexico University under the direction of Dr. Cynthia Orton Williams. Uh, during that time period, 
we excavated 30% of the uh, Chakwin structure, and in the excavation of the site, we recovered a million and a half artifacts. Subsequently, the county moved forward. There was a county bond passed. The Salmon Ruins Museum was built and opened to the public in 1973 as a result of that county bond. And so all of the materials, all of the artifacts, all of the unanalyzed samples resolve, reside on the uh, property there in the museum that is owned by San Juan County. Salmon's is uh, quite unique in that regard in terms of uh, not only do we have this large Chakuan structure to interpret, but we also have all of the artifacts there to interpret as well. Now, your operation, I'm, I'm speaking to Larry Baker here again, uh, your operation has employed a number of archaeologists on a full-time basis, and uh, is Salmon Ruins the, the primary focus of your endeavor? Salmon Ruins is obviously one of the most important things that we do in terms of preservation uh, work, uh, in terms of keeping it open for educational purposes, research purposes, uh, public viewing and visitation, very important here in regional tourism. Currently on staff, I have five archaeologists that work with me through the Division of Conservation Archaeology, and in some cases working with me on the Salmon Ruins as well. Uh, Jeffrey, let me ask you this. You are obviously very closely associated with the project, so that I assume that you're monitoring and developing scopes of work for the Salmon Ruins. Um, I would like to know a little bit about how that works. I think a lot of our listenership, even the ones who have professional interests, uh, interests don't exactly know what the dynamic is and what the nature of the interaction is uh, in a situation like this where the BLM takes responsibility, has a lead archaeologist on the project on their, in, on their um, review and the compliance supervi supervisory capacities and how you actually integrate your efforts and monitor them in conjunction with Larry's operation. In, in this particular case, um, the folks at Salmon Ruin really have the bulk of the experience in dealing with these kind of sites and doing uh, the sort of stabilization work. So it really makes our job a lot easier. With our scopes of work, they're fairly fairly routine. Um, Essentially, we can turn a lot over of it over to Salmon Ruin, and that's kind of a, a unique situation. Uh, in most places, you'd have to develop very stringent and thorough scopes of work, and there would be a lot of work to follow up on that. In our case, we do site visits while they're stabiliz stabilizing uh, these structures. We'll go out and visit them afterwards just to kind of see how the work is done. Um, mm -hmm. But in general, they're able to kind of do their, their own thing because they know what needs to be done on these. Uh, what the stabilization program we have has grown out of um, efforts uh, extending back to the, the mid-70s. Uh, that's when some of the first uh, Pueblo, uh, Pueblitos were stabilized, such as uh, Christmas Tree Ruin and... Of course, at that point, at that point in time, it was uh, 
anyone's guess as to how best to do this. There was a lot of experimentation. So I think locally we've developed a community of people that have learned, built upon that experience, and uh, kind of have their own methodology. And we will be back with this very, very unique discussion on the nature of the cooperative arrangements between the Bureau of Land Management and the uh, San Juan County Archaeological Research Center at Salmon Ruins right after these words. Please stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Most successful people have a strategy for their personal and professional advancement. They understand the value of learning from other people who know how to reach their goals and enjoy their lives. You can live life on your terms at home, work, play, and in the community. Join Lori and industry leaders as they share practical insights with you. Only on In It Together with Lori Lynn Green. Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to Indiana Jones Myth Reality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Joe Schuldenrein back with uh, another segment of our program on Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Today's discussion is a fascinating one that uh, looks at the cooperative arrangements between the Bureau of Land Management and a private uh, nonprofit supporting organization, the San Juan County Archaeological Research Center at Salmon Ruins. Uh, over the break, we were talking about exactly 
what those dynamics are and how there is a symbiotic relationship between the BLM and um, the uh, Archaeological Research Center at Salmon Ruins, and in part, the continuity and the longstanding relationship between these two organizations are, is, are related to the very complex nature of the archaeological site itself, the fact that it is a very complex site, that it has been preserved and requires even more preservation and more research as time goes on. Um, Larry, why don't you tell us a little bit about the actual details of the archaeology and the nature of the archaeological record that requires this kind of very intricate relationship between the two of you? Jeff and I have been working most recently in the area that is called Dineta. Dineta is the Navajo ancestral homeland by their own definition. Uh, it's in west central New Mexico, uh, a broad area extending from the Colorado border about 100 miles to the south. Um, on the west side, flanked by the San Juan River in the communities of Bloomfield and Blanco, all the way up and on to uh, the uh, Hickory Apache Reservation to the east. Uh, within that area, there are literally thousands of archaeological sites, um, all needing various elements of management, protection, uh, preservation at one level or another. And one of the things that have brought Jeff and I uh, to work closely together in that area has to do with uh, Navajo sites that date to the historic period uh, that are defensive in nature and generally called pueblitos. These are uh, smaller masonry structures that uh, are constructed of sandstone, wet-laid masonry, uh, some of them spectacular in their own right, still with uh, standing wall sections, intact ceilings, uh, in, uh, on, perched on boulder massifs, mesa edges, bedrock promontories, uh, and uh, these are uh, heavily visited in many cases, even though they're very remote and rural, and uh, some of them need stabilization uh, in terms of the repair and maintenance of the historic architecture. In other cases, we need to protect them against uh, looting and vandalism, and Jeff and I have been collaborating on a site stewards program now that is fostered by the Solomon Ruins Museum, and uh, we've been working on that, and I think we are having success at preserving and protecting those sites. Uh, Jeff, why don't you talk a little bit to us about the BLM's evolving role in this situation. We all know as, that, as Larry said, looting and weathering and natural deterioration and that the elements of cl climatic elements all contribute to the degradation of archaeological sites, uh, looting being a key one. Uh, why don't you give us sort of a, a bird's eye perspective on the BLM's monitoring of this type of situation and how essentially it has changed over the past, say, I'm guessing now it's close to 45 years since uh, uh, Cynthia Irwin Williams did all that massive excavation out there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that changing uh, perspective? Of course. And um, just to make a minor correction, a lot of the work uh, that has been 
a lot, a lot of the work that has been done by the BLM has really been headed up by some of my predecessors and other colleagues here, uh, especially our lead archaeologist right now, Jim Copeland, who is well known to everyone in, in Southwest archaeology, or at least in this corner of it. And it is kind of a strange corner of it. Uh, usually in the Southwest, as you've already discussed, everybody thinks of Chocolin archaeology. But in this particular area, the historic Navajo components are substantial. They're equal in scope and magnitude to the uh, ancestral Puebloan uh, sites that you find around here. They present unique preservation challenges. For one thing, while we do have well-preserved wood in a lot of Chacoan structures, which is, of course, the source of so much of the chronometric dating, the uh, dendrochronological dating, um, these Pueblitos tend to have a lot more of those perishable materials of wood, various sorts of wood, um, bark, things like that, uh, still extant. Uh, there's a little less stone and a little more perishable vegetable material. So that means you have to think a lot about the the way the structure breathes, the way it sheds water. Um, there's just, they're a little more fragile than some of the Chakuan ruins. And so you have you have obviously a much more delicate situation in that situ- in in that um, setting. Let me ask you, uh, Jeff, about, you had mentioned, obviously, the continuity between um, the prehistoric people that were responsible for both Chaco Chaco and um, Simon Ruins. You had expressed the link between them and the Navajo, who obviously have a very strong impact right now on both development, development interests in the Southwest as well as in archaeological and preservation context. Why don't you talk about their increasing role and how both of your organizations get involved with integrating Navajos into the preservation dynamic? Well, we, um, we, work, we work collaboratively at, and um, with uh, the Navajo Nation Historic Preservation Department on several projects. They, of course, can bring a lot more information in on the sacred aspects of various sites, um, provide that kind of uh, cultural perspective that's lacking in a lot of the scientific-minded archaeology, the sort of background that I would come from. Um, So that's one of the ways. So I think mm-hmm. that, that, that's one of the major ways that we kind of interact on that. Larry may have a little more to say on that. Let, let me offer a, a practical perspective in terms of our relationship with the Navajo Nation, the Navajo Nation uh, Historic Preservation Department, uh, and our work in uh, ruin stabilization of these sites that are Navajo sites. The Pueblitos are built uh, and occupied by Navajo uh, folks in Dineta, primarily in the 1700s. Uh, and in our first preservation work at a site called Old Fort Ruin, 
which is a larger pueblito, very important late pueblito. Clans are founded there. We consulted with the Navajo Nation uh, before we started uh, doing the preservation work on that site and asked them what they would require of us in terms of our ruin stabilization. And what they asked was that we want no modern materials introduced into the site setting, no concrete, no steel, no structural reinforcement at that level, and no reconstruction of any of the individual architectural elements in the site area. And we took that to heart. We complied with that, of course, and we have carried that on in all of our stabilization work now, and we've done comprehensive projects at nine pueblitos, and so we are using no modern materials and only repairing and maintaining the extant architecture that is left. So you're essentially using prehistoric materials to do that? That is essentially correct. For example, the mortar. Uh, You want to find a mortar that matches the color and the texture of the original uh, aboriginal mortar, um, but you want it to be a superior mortar. You want it to have the right uh, uh, amount of sand, clay, and silt so that it naturally is occurring much like what the uh, occupants used in the site setting in the original construction, uh, but will stand the test of time in terms of weathering at least as much as it can as native soil sediments or adobe. It's an interesting, it's a very, very interesting and and novel perspective, I think, even though it's a perspective that probably is derived from antiquity. Is there any feeling, I mean, you've done research on all of this, and, and I address this to both of you, that the degradation or the weathering or the um, stability, if you will, depending on which element of, of the uh, history of the um, structure is concerned, that this is almost a living structure that is exposed to climate, that's exposed to the elements, and takes on its natural course. And for that reason, contemporary and modern me- methods of preservation are actually um, not applied. I think that's a very good point. I think you make an excellent point in terms of looking at these sites as living structures. Uh, and uh, we're treating them uh, accordingly uh, in terms of our use of uh, unamended materials, no structural reinforcements, etc. cetera. Uh, and I, I should comment, and maybe I feel like I'm blowing my horn here, but we've had a great deal of success in these uh, preservation approaches using unamended materials uh, and uh, things are holding up pretty well um, overall. Um, of course, there's you know some climatic variables, some exposure variables, depending on if it's positioned at the very top of a, a mesa and highly exposed, you're going to get more weathering and erosion after treatment, and you're going to be looking at increasing any sort of maintenance cycle. But I think you make a good point. And you know, it's could, it's it, yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh. I was just going to say, if I could jump in um, to discuss a little bit of why we uh, want to preserve these structures. Um, in, a, in a significant way, they sit at the core of Navajo uh, historic identity, 
Um, in some of the earliest recordings of Pueblitos back in the 1970s, they were almost uh, universally described as refugee shelters, the implication being that these were structures built by Puebloan refugees fleeing from the, um, well, sort of the, the repercussions of the Pueblo revolt of 1680 the, uh, when the Spanish re-entered New Mexico. And uh, from these Puebloan refugees, the Navajo learn how to build these structures. And the, the tradition of Pueblito building grew out of the tradition of Pueblo building. Um, the story that archaeology has brought to bear on it is quite a bit different. And it really shows a, an in-situ an in development of a unique architectural style influenced, of course, by neighboring Puebloan groups, but wholly Navajo um, in its inception and in its execution. And so you had mentioned earlier talking about some of the structures, you know, being left to collapse or some of them being preserved and the, walking that balance between preserving the data, uh, which would include site taphonomy, which would include letting the site kind of melt away on its own and then interjecting with these um, stabilization efforts. It's uh, something that has to be thought about with each individual structure. Now, there are about 250 of these Pueblitos out there, so I will say there are Pueblitos in every state of repair and disrepair in the greater Deneta. Uh, the ones that are receiving regular maintenance, if you want to call it that, or uh, stabilization, are really some of the premier examples and some of the only the only examples left of this unique architectural tradition. So it's important not only for people approaching the history of architecture uh, from a scholarly perspective, but also for uh, people in the region. You know, it, it, it's um, it's a big draw for tourism. It's very educational for Navajo and non-Navajo students in the area. And um, it, these structures are very significant, um, not just because of their antiquity, but also because of their unique cultural value. Let me ask you in that regard, you bring up a point that I think many people would be interested in, and, and that is specifically, um, what are you seeing in terms of stabilization? Well, not so much stabilization. Let's talk about the downside of this, which would be deterioration of the Pueblitos and the structural integrity of these these magnificent features. Are what to what can we attribute? Um, let's say, if there is such a thing. Uh, an increased rate of degradation? Is it climate? Is it uh, just uh, structural, uh, natural fragmentation? Do we see climate as playing a role in the um, need for accelerating stabilization? And how far do you go with that? I, this is Larry. I don't, I don't think necessarily we're having uh, too many effects in terms of deterioration of the structures here um, related to climate. I, I think that we're having natural deterioration, of course. Uh, I mentioned levels of exposure where the sites are positioned. Uh, but because the area is becoming more heavily visited, um, we're seeing that there is an increase 
and potential looting or vandalism, which we've been able to kind of keep at bay through our uh, volunteer site stewards program. Uh, and we've really, uh, the looting is really, really down. We've had some recent vandalism, uh, and that is going to remain a problem, but I think our presence out there in the uh, deep canyons of Largo and Governador are also helping in terms of minimizing vandalism at this time. And we will be back with our final segment on this very fascinating discussion on the uh, salmon ruins and the unique dynamic between the Bureau of Land Management and the San Juan County Archaeological Research Center at Salmon Ruins right after these words. Don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for You with Arvind Vora, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Do you want to expand the legacy that you leave behind? Get the inspiration you need by hearing from others who are doing just that. Listen for Your Why with host Nelina Varinas. The show features amazing guests who have saved lives, helped others, and brought forth hope to others around them. By hearing their stories, you can make some stories of your own. Your Why can be heard every Friday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Hospitality News Network for a look inside the travel, hotel, restaurant, and hospitality industry. Host Stephen Nicole and his guests will teach you everything you've wanted to know about this fascinating industry. Who knows? You might just want to change your own career path. At the very least, you might end up being a preferred customer. The Hospitality News Network is broadcast live every Monday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to indianajonesmythreality at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. We are discussing the nature of the 
very complicated stewardship and preservation program and, and very beneficial program, I might add, at Salmon Ruins in northwestern New Mexico. Uh, my guests are uh, Jeffrey Hames of the Bureau of Land Management, which is the regulatory agency for the ruins themselves and many others, obviously, in their domain. And uh, Larry Baker, who is the executive director of the San Juan County Archaeological Research Center, which is a at at Salmon Ruins, which is a nonprofit organization, who among its other missions is dedicated to the preservation and stewardship of the Salmon Ruins. Uh, Jeffrey, you had mentioned the stewardship program and uh, how extensive it is, and how much of an emphasis you're placing on it as uh, we we uh, sort of advance in the 21st century and, and certainly face a lot of problems associated with archaeological site preservation. Why don't you discuss that in a little greater detail and tell us how people are involved and can get involved in that. Okay. Um, our archaeological program here in the Farmington Field Office is anywhere between you know, two and five people at any given time. So that leaves us about a million acres apiece to manage. So volunteers, private organizations are absolutely critical to helping us, um, to helping us fulfill our, our charge um, in protecting and maintaining these sites. Uh, Solomon Ruins essentially operates this volunteer program, the site steward program, and we'll have people go out and Look at these sites. It will be on, you know, it could be fairly frequently or not so frequently because some of these are very far in the back country. Um, but they'll routinely monitor these, look for any new signs of looting or natural degradation, and we'll try to respond to those promptly and appropriately. Larry? The Northwest. The oh, Northwest New Mexico Site Stewards Program uh, is the formal name of our uh, stewardship organization that is operated through Salmon Ruins. Uh, and we've got about uh, 39 stewards uh, out patrolling and monitoring about 100 archaeological sites. Um, and many of these archaeological sites are truly significant. Uh, in terms of our Pueblito discussion, 48 of the Pueblitos are on the National Register of Historic Places. Uh, and we've got uh, volunteers going out and visiting every one of those National Register sites. Uh, and I think that that's very, very important in terms of uh, preservation of those sites, protection of those sites, uh, keeping uh, looting down, and vandalism. We have had some instances of vandalism. Uh, and in one case, they built a huge bonfire in one of the Pueblito structures but in our discussions between Jeff and his colleagues and, and myself and my site steward director, we think that overall, because this thing was very rural, this structure was very rural and remote, that they weren't doing anything wrong. And we've got to educate people to change that attitude. Right. It's, it's an attitudinal issue. And, and I guess along those lines... I would assume that there has to be some kind of a working relationship between both of your organizations and law enforcement. How does that work? Um, 
within the BLM, we do have a law enforcement program. So our law enforcement folks have been really good about working with the archaeological program to um, do further monitoring if needed. Um, you know, whenever we have reports of vandalism at a site, they can help us investigate those reports. And, you know, we, we do occasionally have uh, fines or other actions that will come out of kind of flagrant abuse of cultural resources. Um, although, as Larry indicated, you know, a lot of people just don't know that they're doing anything wrong. And so more than law enforcement education is really our, our main focus in preventing and dealing with vandalism. Larry, let me get your perspective on that um, because I know that there are people who, don't, who, who really are genuinely innocent about these things and assume that they're not doing anything wrong, but you have some very, very sophisticated looter networks, especially out that way, that uh, very well know that they're doing something wrong and have been put away, and, and those, uh, those, those people, and they're a little gangs, if you will, they, they know what they're doing. And I think that's, that's really one of the bigger problems. Tell me how that's changed over the course of time, because you have indicated that looting is very much down. And I assume that a lot of that had to do with your volunteer program, sort of people going out there and showing a presence. And also because, uh, you know, because of the nature of your relationship with the BLM and possibly even with uh, the state troopers or uh, local mun and municipal um, police. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we're we're very fortunate in that um, our site stewards program is making a difference, uh, in that we do see that looting is down. And as you indicated, uh, looting can be very sophisticated, systematic, even. Uh, and I think yeah. our site stewards are out there enough to keep that looting at that level at bay. Uh, and we're very, very fortunate. Uh, Jeff commented about education. If you can get the public involved, our volunteers, of course, uh, and, and educate them in terms of how important it is not to vandalize a site, to not loot a site, um, I think uh, you create preservationists as a result of these educational programs. We lead tours into these areas. Uh, and uh, take folks to sites that are very remote. And one of the things we do is educate them in how to visit an archaeological site, what's appropriate, uh, leave only footprints, take only photographs. Those kinds of things have become our mantra in terms of educating the public. Uh, where do you see, uh, as we, as we uh, sort of close down and, and advance in our, our time here, um, where do you guys see the program progressing? Uh, what are the major issues that you're up against? Let's start with you, Jeff. Well, uh, first, just to kind of follow up on the situation we have here, which I think is kind of unique, uh, certainly with respect to other places I've worked on the greater Colorado Plateau. You know, for one, so many of the people here, um, we have a large Native population who has a very close uh, cultural, sometimes even spiritual tie with these sites. And so 
just from that, we have we have a lot of people looking out for these properties um, beyond the site stewards. Um, also, a lot of what our office deals with is oil and gas development, and the oil and gas companies are, are major forces, economic forces, and political forces in the area, and most of them really do not want to jeopardize their relationships with the BLM. Um, just so their you know employees can go pick up pot shirts or something like that. So the companies, over the past several decades, they've become very much uh, more aware uh, of the importance of cultural resources and the importance of protecting cultural resources. And so I think that's why you see less looting here than you do on a lot of places on the Greater Colorado Plateau. Um, but uh, that said, that that effort to educate people. Um, the people who are out in the field the most, um, that never really ends. And, and I think we do have another large substantial part of the population that might be new to the area or might be generations back, but they're not on the time clock and they also don't have that kind of strong cultural tie to these sites. And that's the demographic we really need to uh, try harder to reach out to. Oh, Larry, any thoughts on that? Uh, I agree with Jeff. Uh, one of the things that we see during times of tough economy is that looting increases. People go out, they loot artifacts, they dig in archaeological sites to remove artifacts for sale. Um, and uh, that is indeed a problem. Um, you know, if you're trying to put food on the table for your family, I can see how people would be drawn into that. Um, but it's our job to make sure that that doesn't happen. Both Jeff in his very official capacity with the Bureau of Land Management and me as the administrator of the Northwest New Mexico Site Stewards Program and to help educate those people that might tend towards that to uh, show them that this is not a viable way to go, and how much it damages uh, cultural resources. Do you have educational programs that encourage or have promoted the involvement of Navajo and Native American uh, young people into into your programs? We we have had uh, some degree of you know we we try to promote and support school groups that want to come out, and sometimes those are native-led school groups. Um, we, we have a lot going on um, for the resources that we're allocated. And so we're always trying to do a lot with a little. And so a lot of our outreach has been very general and very much... Um, well, sort of impersonal in a sense, but we have a, a really good brochure out that explains a little bit about proper site visitation etiquette and where to go see some of the more uh, so some of the more impressive, visually impressive sites in the area, uh, and that, that's our defensive sites of Deneta brochure. And uh, so these are the kind of sites where. If a uh, school group does call and they want to do some sort of field trip, we can give them a little bit of direction on how to get out to these and 
what to look out for, proper site etiquette, that sort of thing. And uh, that, that, to date, that's been our biggest role is just in supporting these. But there's definitely potential to expand into um, a, a more direct approach to education in the future. Larry, we've been, Larry, do- we've been yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, we've been dovetailing off that with the site stewards program and taking school groups out to visit uh, some of the sites and uh, various rock art sites as well as the pueblitos. And and I think um, you know if you can stimulate that in kids and and uh, underscore. Uh, what is appropriate and how important these are and that uh, if we don't protect them now, one of these days they're going to be completely gone. If you can stimulate that in a young child, um, you'll have a preservationist forever. Finally, uh, can we disperse and provide and advertise for uh, your organizations? Do we have a website that informs people about uh, what they can do to contribute to preservation specifically uh, at, at Salmon Ruins and in the, uh, in the general context of uh, southwestern archaeology that's covered by the BLM. Uh, Jeff, do you have a website that you can direct our listenership to? Uh, yes. If, if you go to uh, just www.blm.gov, um, follow the links to New Mexico, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas. We're kind of one big happy family. And follow that to Farmington Field Office. Uh, you'll find some good information there, both on the uh, Navajo Pueblitos and also on historic homesteads in the area. Um, of course, this is Chaco country, but there's a lot of books out there about Chaco. So our, our website's a good source for some of these other resources that often get overlooked. Um, again, that uh, Defensive Sites of the Deneta brochure is available on there, and that will help people plan a trip if they're interested in seeing some of these for themselves. Um, Salmon Ruins is always a great source of information uh, for sites in the area, um, so maybe Larry can talk a little bit about that. You can uh, get information from our website, www. Uh, www.salmonruins.com uh, and within the framework of the, of the basic website you can find information on uh, our tour programs, our site steward programs, etc. Uh, and it will provide links accordingly uh, for those uh, other programs. And on that note we're going to have to wrap our discussion up. I want to thank my very special guest Jeffrey Hames, an archaeologist with the Bureau of Land Management, and Larry Baker, the executive director of the San Juan County Archaeological Research Center and Library at Salmon Ruins. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your instructive presentation. Thank you very much. Thank you. And until next time, this is Joe Schildenrein. asking you to stay tuned to our programs and to follow the developments of 21st century archaeology going forward and uh, encouraging you to play your part in the preservation of our heritage. Thank you and good evening. Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. 
Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 